0: Good evening, audiodrama listeners. Midnight Audio Theater is ready to kick off with two stories from Black Jack Justice by Dakota Ring Theater. No time to talk, so let's jump right in. Enjoy.
1: Once again, Dakota Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that Sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, Girl Detective.
0: It has been said more than once that there's always a calm before the storm. I don't know if that's a certified meteorological phenomenon or just an old saw gone mad, but I tend to lead towards the latter. But to be sure, there is a certain breathless anticipation in the moment before a crisis and I can only assume that it is from this that our cliché du jour springs. At any rate, if you stretch the metaphor out, it doesn't really hold together. In fact, like so many others, it finds itself directly at odds with other bits of sage wisdom from the farmer's almanac. If a crisis comes when it's quiet, it's always calm before the storm. And if the opposite is true, it never rains but it pours. The old wives like to keep their options open. In any event, In addition to our allegedly professional pursuits, Jack and I were often able to put some of our less reliable proverbs to bed with the sort of rock-solid proof we were seldom able to scrape together in our casework, and this proved to be one of those occasions. Because just before the grey-green door of our palatial offices bust open to reveal the quivering form of Mary Lou Arden, just before she stepped timidly into the great crime lab of Justice and Dixon, private investigations dragging her own personal storm with her, it had... In fact, been raining for a day and a half. It had been the kind of rain that made a regular summer thunderstorm, with all its flash and sizzle, seem like a dilettante day in the desert. The sky had opened and seemed to be in a great hurry to rid itself of as much water as possible, as quickly as possible, and so it had remained. I was passing the time in pleasant stages, with my feet up on the radiator and the office watchdog at my side... "'both of us staring out the window and wondering in order if it would ever stop. "'If it didn't, should we build an ark? "'And just exactly what was a cubit anyhow?' "'It was then that I heard the door and turned to see what later proved to be Miss Arden, "'soaked to the skin through a coat that seemed entirely unsuitable for such a day, "'quivering with the chill, certainly, but something in her eyes suggesting that there was more.' All in all, she generally looked like one of the taller, slimmer bunny rabbits you were ever likely to see, and I didn't even have to look at him to tell that she had simultaneously engaged both Jack's protective and his predatory instincts, and that I should probably just stay in my chair.
2: Here you are, Miss Arden. A towel for your hair, as promised.
0: Thank you, Mr. Justice.
3: You're very resourceful.
2: You have no idea. The coffee will be ready in a moment. I think you'll find it will take away the chill... I'll hang up your coat by the heater, but I'm not entirely sure it'll ever be dry again.
3: I am sorry to present myself in such a state.
2: It's not a fit day out for man nor beast. And if you ventured out in it, I can only assume that you have something serious on your mind. We're here to help.
3: Thank you again. You're very kind.
0: Kind and resourceful. That's our Jack.
2: Miss Arden, my formerly and refreshingly silent partner, Miss Dixon.
0: How do you do, Miss Dixon? Trixie, please. What brings you to us, Miss Arden? How do you mean? Well, not to be overly modest, but our offices are at least several blocks on the wrong side of the tracks, and not right on a city bus line, forcing a pretty young thing such as yourself to walk unaccompanied in the driving rain for a time. One wonders exactly why that is.
2: This is Trixie's idea of a customer survey. Milk or sugar?
0: Oh, uh, a little milk, please. There we go. Oh, thank you, Mr. Justice. You're... Kind, resourceful, handy around the house.
2: You can feel free to ignore her if you'd like. I know I do. Now... "'What's on your mind?' "'She seemed to hold her breath, just a little and just for a moment, "'like she was staring over a precipice and wondering whether to jump. "'She lifted her eyes from the floor to meet mine, "'without changing the angle of her head. "'A single raindrop fell from beneath the towel she had wrapped around her long, dark hair "'and quickly rolled down her cheek, "'accenting every curve along the way like a caress. "'She held my eyes for a moment that passed like a far-off peal of thunder.' I bit my tongue hard to stop myself from agreeing to whatever she wanted before she opened her mouth.
3: I was referred to your offices by a young man at another agency. He said that you might be able to do more for me than he could, and promised that you would be discreet.
2: Discretion is our watchword, which is a nice way of saying it's our bread and butter.
0: Thank you. Do you mind if I ask whom we have to thank for this generosity? I'm sorry? The detective business isn't a robust one, Miss Arden, we aren't renowned for sharing our leads without good reason. Some of those reasons are worse than others, and it might save us all a little time if we knew who sent you out into the cold, soggy world with our address to keep you warm.
2: Tricks? do we really have I to...
3: Shouldn't. I shouldn't. I promised I wouldn't. Ah. What is it?
2: As much as I apologize for my partner and her upraised hackles, the fact that our unseen benefactor asked to remain anonymous only increases our need to know. But Why? Because, believe it or not, there are folks out there that don't like us very much.
0: And they outnumber those that do by a pretty wide margin. It was Braithwaite's, wasn't
2: it? Braithwaite's?
0: How'd you know? Lucky guess. But you can relax. There's usually one reason why the gentleman detective's boys would turn down a case. Why's that?
2: Never mind about that. Drink your coffee while it's hot.
3: I want to know. Because there's no money in it. I... I can't pay very much, it's true. All right... But, Mr. West, he said you might be able to help me. Mr. West?
2: Uh Oh.
3: What is it? Mr. West said that if anyone could help me, it was you two.
2: Did he mention our names kind of quietly? As though he might be fired for the mere thought of us?
3: Well, yes.
0: I may help myself to a little warm-up from the office bottle. Would anyone care to join me?
3: I don't understand.
2: Two here, please, barkeep. Coming up. Miss Arden... It is true that we have some history with this particular agency And it is fair to say that its owner-operator would be quite pleased to see us lose our licenses, or worse But I wouldn't be telling tales very far out of school if I mentioned that their operative Theodore West Who is known in these parts as Button-Down Theo, carries something of a torch for my partner Shut up I know, but the heart wants what it wants If Button-Down Theo sent you to us, it might be bad news for us Mostly because he knows we sometimes enjoy that kind of thing. But it's not likely a trap. Which is a pleasant enough place to start, and brings us more or less back to where we came in.
0: But with three whiskeys.
2: Bravo. I know we may have cut your momentum off at the knees somewhat. And if I read your eyes right, it isn't a story you relish repeating for the second time today. But we'll help you if we can. A small toast. What? All right. Success to crime. Crime.
0: She watched us both a moment and then took a little whiskey herself. Just enough to make the telling easier. Not enough to get sloppy, but more than she'd likely have had if she were trying to be careful. It was Miss Dixon's good old fashioned booze test and she passed with flying colors. She set her glass down and picked up the cup of Costa Rica jacket handed her, taking a small sip quickly to quell the burning of the so cheap it's barely scotch. She took a breath and gazed into the middle distance her eye line taking in the floor about 6 feet in front of her battered but not bowed i was starting to come around on mary lou arden
3: you know what the hardest thing is about admitting that you've been a fool it isn't telling the story though that's bad enough it's that when you tell the story the ending seems so obvious even from the beginning
2: the detective office setting has that effect there was a man
3: is it that obvious
2: it's not a unique way to begin his name?
3: Paul Trent. I met him in the bookshop where I work. He came in one day quite by chance, and we talked for a while. He was quite devilishly handsome and very charming. I admit I was taken with him at once. I was probably more familiar than I should have been, but it seemed so harmless. Soon he was walking past two perfectly good newsstands on the corner to buy his newspaper from me. He was only in the shop for a few moments each day. But there was something in his eyes Something that made that innocent gesture feel anything but It was a giddy little thrill and I enjoyed it It seems like such a long time ago now
0: You started seeing him socially? Yes And at what point did it become clear that there was a Mrs. Trent? See, I told you the ending was obvious
2: There are a limited number of things that could have brought you to our door, Miss Arden
3: I suppose so At first it was quite exciting. Paul was very attentive. Then he began turning up late when we were supposed to meet, sometimes missing dates altogether. I thought it was just work. Turns out I was part right. It was his secretary. Ouch. I tried to break it off with him. He swore that she meant nothing to him. Of course, he was telling the truth and would have been when he said the same thing about me. I didn't believe any of it. I stopped seeing him. But he wouldn't take no for an answer. He kept coming round the shop, sending flowers to my apartment. He told me that he'd got rid of his secretary, sent her elsewhere in the company.
0: Possibly true, though there might have been other reasons.
3: I know it. But he seemed so... Oh, I'm a fool. He seemed so sincere, so repentant, so much sweeter that he'd never been. I'm sure he must have had lots of practice. But in the end, he, he just wore me down. I started seeing him again. And I thought that we were happy. I thought... It doesn't matter what I thought. A few weeks passed and Paul's sweetness cooled again. But he was still... It's difficult to tell this without feeling like an idiot. I suppose I deserve what I get. Miss Arden... I don't really remember the exact sequence of what happened next. It all happened within a day or so. I got a look at Paul's new secretary... And I knew at once that he had just traded in for a newer model. She was a knockout. Very brassy. Not a bit like me. I suppose that was part of the point. I imagine that I am nothing like his wife, though I've never seen her. Yes, this is when I found out about that. Ironic. If I hadn't been snooping about the secretary, I don't know how long it would have been before I learned what a louse he really was. And I really thought that he was... In spite of everything, I really did... I told him that I never wanted to see him again.
0: How did that go?
3: Not exactly well. He couldn't have been more different than the time before. He was furious. He was caught and he knew it. He pushed his way into my apartment. Told me that he wasn't... He wasn't finished with me yet. That he'd tell me when it was over and not before.
0: And what did you say to that?
3: I told him that I'd scream for a policeman.
0: And he just laughed. And why exactly was that funny?
3: He said no one would believe me. Said he was a successful businessman and I was some girl that worked in a shop. I asked how successful he would be if his employer knew how he spent his off hours. He just laughed again. He told me this wasn't a road I wanted to go down. Said that if I did, I would never live it down.
0: Did he say what that meant?
3: He said that he had... That he had pictures. Pictures that I wouldn't want anyone to see does he? I don't know. I I don't know. I haven't seen them. But he described them in great detail. He said he could absolutely ruin me, and he's right. Do you think he's bluffing? I don't know. I told him. I told him that if he didn't give me the pictures and the negatives, I would go to his wife, tell her everything. He smiled and leaned in close to me. He told me that if I ever went anywhere near his wife, he would kill me said it with a smile that I'd never seen before said it soft and gently like it was a love poem he said I wasn't the first to threaten it and I wouldn't be the last and that if he even thought that I meant to do it he would kill me too that's what he said and he said it with a smile I knew that he would too I I was shaking all over I didn't know what to do I don't know if there's anything you can do for me if there's anything anyone can do for me But I know that Paul means to keep... I know he won't stop until he gets bored with tormenting me. And even then, I'm terribly afraid what he means to do.
0: We three sat in silence for a moment. I didn't have to look to know that my partner's eyes were as cold as any stone. The moment was broken as Jack pushed his chair back and made for the office bottle. Miss Arden watched him as he moved, her hands shaking a little waiting to be told that she was a stupid girl and should stop wasting our time, which looked to be what she expected. I glanced over at Jack as he replenished his scotch. He was calm and quiet, but his knuckles were white as he held the glass. The rain pelted the old windows as if it were finally ready to come bursting in and wash us all away. At last he spoke.
2: Theo didn't send her to you, Trix.
0: I'm sorry? What?
2: I know you like to help out a gal in trouble. So does your little boyfriend in the pinstripes. But he didn't send her to you. Even if she'd had a million dollars, which she does not, the gentleman detective and all his industrious Cub Scouts couldn't have done anything for her.
3: What do
0: you mean?
2: I mean, there isn't a lot of, according to Hoyle, investigating to be done here. This isn't exactly a mystery. And Theo can't do what needs to get done.
0: Jack, try and make a little bit of sense, would you?
2: He didn't send her to you, Trixie. He sent her to me.
0: I hated to admit that Jack was right. If you follow these ribald little tales of adventure, you know that is a truism and applies to just about any situation. But for the moment, that's beside the point. And it is true that my one-man fan club at Braithwaite's knew that we could often handle the kinds of case that eluded the big bright detecting machine in which he was a sprocket or a junior cog. And I would like to think that he'd send us an ugly mess and a nominal fee the way an ordinary man sends flowers. And if he had, I'd have said that he was making progress at last. But Jack was probably right. Theo's Boy Scout hackles were as overdeveloped as Jack's were, and, as one who had doubtless grown up meek and mild, he recognized Paul Trent for what he was a bully. And he probably knew that the most satisfying way to deal with a bully was to sick a bigger bully on him. In fact, Theo regarded Jack as more of a thug than a bully. And while that wasn't necessarily entirely fair, it was pretty close. So I gave it to him on points. But as much as I tended to agree with Jack about Theo's motives, I wasn't quite as eager to leap on board with the savage beating that the pair of them seemed to regard as step one. I've been lied to by the very best of the very worst, and am, for reasons of basic biology, far less likely than my partner to be taken in by the delicate features and rain-soaked hair of our brave but helpless client. Sorry if that seems ungenerous. So I had a little scouting mission in mind. Miss Arden supplied a full description and a little background information like the name of the bar that Paul Trent liked to stop in after work. With a wife and at least two mistresses, I wondered how he found the time. We were about as far as you could be from being the same type, though if our client was right, Trent liked a little variety in his stable and I was banking on being the filly that... a grade A louse just couldn't resist, something I knew from long experience. I slipped off into the storm and made my way down to the watering hole in question, which was relaxed but more expensive than your average riffraff could afford, which is probably why I'd never been there before. It was five blocks and two bars away from Trent's office, which probably cut down on the crowds from his office, making it easier for extracurricular activities, if that's what he had in mind. I tried to push such thoughts from my mind. After all, I had come here to keep the storm from breaking on an innocent man, if such a creature could be found. Mary Lou Arden had told me that at some point he'd probably get a faraway look in his eye and announce that my hair smelled like flowers. I struggled to give him a little more credit as I settled in at the bar three seats down from Trent and ordered a drink. If he was going to try something, I hoped he'd do it fast. There were at least a... Half a dozen suits and ties eyeing up the empty chairs on the other side of Miss Dixon, and as much as that sounded like fun, I didn't really have the time.
4: I don't remember seeing you in here before.
0: And that is the sort of thing you're likely to recall?
4: Don't see how I could possibly forget it.
0: Then I must be new here.
4: <laughs> My name is Paul.
0: Mine's Trixie. Listen, Paul, I really just came in for a quiet drink.
4: As did I. No reason we can't have a quiet drink together, is there?
0: Doesn't sound all that quiet.
4: Maybe not. (laughs) Is that such a bad thing?
0: That's quite the disarming grin you've got there. You could strip paint with that.
4: Thanks, I think. Jerry, I'll have another drink. So will the lady.
0: You're not the kind that takes no for an answer, are you?
4: I haven't heard you say any such thing.
0: You can't fill in the blanks?
4: Sure I can. (laughs) Where's the fun in that? Is
0: this your hobby? What? Bantering with blondes in bars.
4: Sounds like a good one, doesn't it?
0: I've heard worse.
4: Anyway, I don't make a habit of it.
0: But you made an exception for little old me.
4: Something like that. Thanks, Jerry.
0: You're here often enough for it, aren't you?
4: What makes you say that?
0: You know the bartender's first name.
4: I'm a friendly guy.
0: I noticed. You also must be here often enough to approach a lady with haven't seen you here before and be pretty confident that you're right.
4: What are you, some kind of detective?
0: Hmm, a girl detective. That'd be rich, wouldn't it? I
4: guess it would. The truth is, I work around here. I stop by sometimes in the evenings. I'm in sales.
0: Isn't everybody?
4: got kind of a funny way about you, you know that?
0: I get that a lot.
4: I'll bet. What about you, Trixie? What do you do?
0: Maybe I just drift into bars, act aloof, and wait for a salesman to buy me a drink.
4: How were the hours?
0: Lousy. But some of the minutes aren't that bad, though. Is this one of them? What if it was?
4: Just making conversation.
0: Try talking about the weather.
4: Some kind of rain we've been having.
0: It is. It really is.
4: It's been quite the storm, but they say it's going to break.
0: I've got a feeling you ain't seen nothing yet.
4: It's a remarkable thing. What is? That a girl can walk out of that kind of storm and have her hair smell this much like flowers?
0: Like flowers? Yeah. You get a lot of mileage out of that line, or do you think it's the faraway look in your eyes?
4: What makes you so sure it's a line? I'm
0: sure nothing, Paul. Nothing except the fact that I just met a salesman who can't tell soap from flowers, which suggests, if nothing else, that you don't sell either of those. Look, I have to go, but it was nice meeting you.
4: Likewise. Will I see you again?
0: I'd be astonished if you didn't. He smiled at that, which means he didn't catch the portent hanging like another, much more private storm brewing right over his head. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that the cornball phrase was what settled my mind. But he sold himself down the river before he opened his mouth. It's not that difficult to remove a wedding ring without being seen doing it. Unless a girl detective is watching for the motion out of the corner of her eye. I dropped a nickel in the payphone on the way out and told Jack it was plan A. Which was convenient since we didn't have a plan B.
2: Trent was another 45 minutes in the bar which may not sound like a long time but when you're waiting in a cold car trying not to be lulled by the irregular bossa nova the rain was beating on the car, it can feel like an eternity. It was the waiting that I hated. Waiting for an ill-defined something to happen was one thing, but when you knew perfectly well what it was, you had resolved yourself to conflict, tightened your guts to rein in the adrenaline giving your fists the last creaky stretch before what was to come and then let all that perfectly good fire go cold was frustrating made you wonder somewhere in the back of your mind wonder if that fire would ever be there again when you needed it or if this was that time that the engine would come up empty it reminded me of the war i hated being reminded of the war i made a mental note to take that out on paul trent at last he stepped from the door clutching his raincoat around his neck and glancing up at the deluge above to see if there wasn't some sign that it would relent just for him. One of the thousand useless gestures that a man makes every day. Gestures that you never see unless your lot in life is to watch from a cold car and buy your time. He made his way up the street, checking back every few feet for a taxicab that wasn't likely to come. That made this more difficult. The rain had long ago washed all bystanders away and left the streets just to us, That made things easier. I slipped from the car and closed the door as silently as I could and fell into step behind Paul Trent. For a couple of blocks, we walked along like that, the brightly lit spaces of open businesses growing fewer and further between. He was a big guy. That can be good, and be bad. Doesn't mean much. Might mean he isn't used to being scared. Might mean he's got no reason to be. After the fourth time, he checked over his shoulder for a taxi. He turned just a little more, like he'd seen something that he wasn't sure was there. I knew I'd been made, but hiding wasn't really the point. He walked on, stiffer and faster than before. It was a good while before he turned again, but when he did, there I was, a looming shadow in the pouring rain just a few feet behind now. His head turned away quickly. I could tell he was fighting not to break into a run, a little smile creep across my face. "'Another dozen feet, we'd be passing an alleyway on the right. "'Then he was mine. "'Trent seemed to sense it. "'I wondered if in that moment he knew "'not just what was about to happen, but why. "'There was an icy river running down my back. "'I wondered if Paul Trent was remembering the war, too, "'and felt sick in the pit of my stomach. "'It wasn't a nice feeling.' I dealt with it by grabbing Trent by the shoulders and heaving him through the air into the trash cans at the mouth of the alley. He tried to scramble to his feet, but his smooth office worker shoes were useless. I put a left cross across the side of his head, just as an opener. Just a little greeting card, to get his attention. I got it. He threw what you might call a punch in my general direction. It had been a lot of years since anyone that punched that bad had actually hit me, and today was not going to be the day. Trent staggered forward with his own momentum and I clipped him with an uppercut to the jaw that took in a little of the nose on the way up. He staggered and swayed a little and I made a note to stay away from the head for a while. At least if I wanted him awake for this, which I did. It was time to make my introductions. Please. Uh, Please, don't! Paul Trent. What? Mary Lou Arden says hello. That's always the moment. Whatever else happens... The moment when they realize they aren't being mugged... That this isn't random... That they aren't the victim... That's the moment that does the trick... If this kind of stunt is going to work... The rest is about reinforcing the idea... I set about reinforcing it with a series of body blows... That broke at least three of his ribs... I felt them go... It's a sensation that I can't describe... Nor do you want to fully appreciate it... It is at once intensely satisfying... And leaves one hating oneself even more... I worked through these unwelcome feelings with some methodical work on Trent's stomach, which he did not seem to appreciate. He seemed to be sobbing a little. I provided a right cross that gave him an excuse to sit down a little. He took advantage of the opportunity. Any questions? Mary Lou sent you. Didn't think she had it in her? Who are you? Name's Justice. Jack Justice. You better have a good lawyer. You gonna sue me, Paul? Even my lawyer'd know enough to put you on the stand. And my client. What will your wife think of that? I'll have
4: you arrested.
2: Well, see you've got a little problem there too. Namely a certain police lieutenant in these parts who has a sixteen-year-old daughter that reminds me a lot of Mary Lou Arden. I just bet he'd see it that way too. Give me an excuse to get him involved, and he'll hurt you in ways I never could. Now shut up. These are the rules. Mary Lou Arden is off-limits. You've never heard of Mary Lou Arden. Her apartment, the bookstore, you don't set foot within five blocks. If you do, you're done. Done! And she wants the pictures. Pictures? You know damn well what I'm talking about. There never were any pictures. Do you know how easy this would be, Trent? God. Please don't kill me. Total stranger in an alley. What do you think the odds they would ever find me? Please. Please. Please, put the gun away! It gets even easier for my client if I spray the back of your head all over this alley, you know. You think you don't deserve it?
4: There never were any pictures. I swear. I was just trying to scare her. I'd have said anything. Please!
2: I smacked him in the puss with my forty-five, which, contrary to his expectations, I had no intention of using for any other purpose. That stopped his whining and gave renewed vigor to his sobbing. I was sure there were no pictures... A blowhard like Paul Trent always folds when you call his bluff. And there was no way this cream puff took a pistol whipping and stuck to a lie. I left him there in the alley. Disappeared back into the ring without another word. I wondered what he'd do. If he folded his tents, he'd make out all right. Sure, he'd taken some lumps, but he could explain them away however he wanted. Say he'd been mugged, whatever. No skin off my nose. The job, the wife, the hot and cold running secretaries. He still had it all. Part of me wondered if it would be enough. Most of me knew that it wouldn't. They always had to do things the hard way.
3: Who is it? Who's there? Whoever you are, get out of here before I call the police.
4: You think you're awful clever, don't you?
3: Paul! Have you gone crazy?
4: That's right, I'm crazy.
3: Get out of here!
4: You know what makes me crazy? Stupid little girls and their stupid stunts.
3: Get out of here. I'm warning you. Warning
4: me? (laughs) What are you going to do, Mary Lou? Sick your bulldog on me again? I was very slick. I didn't think you had it in you. Where did you find a gorilla like that anyway?
3: Get out of here. This is your last warning. Don't make me laugh.
4: (laughs) No one treats me like this.
3: You think you can get away with this? Your face doesn't look so good, Paul. You don't want to know what it's going to look like if you don't get out of here right this second. Ah!
4: You should hang around with these rough types more often. It improves your banter.
3: I hate you.
4: Good. That makes the rest of this easier. Paul! Put that gun away! Thought I knew you, princess. Thought you were soft and weak. And stupid like the rest. (laughs) I never saw this coming. But that means that I have no idea what you're capable of. And I can't take that kind of risk.
3: Paul, don't do this. You don't
4: leave me any choice. You think I'm prepared to risk everything I have over you? Let you bleed me dry or worse?
3: I've never said any such thing. I just want you to go. Leave me alone.
4: I don't believe you. Besides, I owe you for tonight. Don't! And if your little playmate gets sore, he'll get the same. He won't take me by surprise again.
3: You aren't thinking straight. You'll never get away with this.
4: Don't count too much on your hired muscles, sweetheart. You can only buy so much loyalty. Especially on your budget. Now you and I are going to take a little ride.
0: Where are we going?
4: Doesn't matter, really. Because you're not coming back.
0: All right, I've heard enough. What the... Drop the gun, Trent. You. That's right, me. Now drop the gun. What are you doing here? Put the gun down. This is a citizen's arrest. What? Breaking and entering, assault with a deadly and uttering threats, with a side order of kidnapping and attempted murder, if the DA can make them stick. Now put it down, or I put you down. This is
4: insane.
0: I'm through talking, peaches. Paul, for God's sake, drop the gun.
2: Why, you little... Hey. That was fast.
0: Yeah. Sabian didn't think I'd be getting any medals, and he said something about not leaving town, but I don't think he liked Paul Trent very much.
2: I think Paul Trent is lucky you put two slugs in him before he met Sabian.
0: Yeah, and about
3: that... They say he'll be fine. Soft tissue wounds, I heard the doctor say.
2: Probably not the ending you wanted.
3: It's an ending. That's what I wanted. We're sure about
0: that part?
2: You were pretty bang on with the list of charges. I don't think we'll be seeing Paul Trent for a while. When he does see daylight again I'll reckon he'll have bigger problems And if I'm wrong You have our number
3: I do I can't thank you enough for everything
2: We didn't do anything particularly clever Just bruised some knuckles And handed out some soft tissue wounds
0: In fact, we were about eight feet This side of being criminals ourselves
2: Maybe not even that much
3: You evened the odds When I had nowhere else to turn That's no small thing And I'll never forget it Thank you both Good luck
0: Well, tall, dark, and wistful, you gonna go after her or just watch her go?
2: Watch her go. It's my bit.
0: It's a lousy bit. Stings less. What does that mean?
2: It means every time I meet a nice girl, she's been recently put off all men types for a good while.
0: There are at least 36 jokes that I'm not making right now.
2: And I appreciate that.
0: Happy birthday.
2: What about you? You gonna call up button-down Theo? Give him a bird-dog fee of a lifetime?
0: You'd think that, wouldn't you? But no.
2: Is there something wrong with us?
0: Do you really have to ask that question?
2: I really do. Once in a blue moon, I really do.
0: Come on. I'll buy you a bourbon if anything's open.
2: I mean it. You know why there's enough of an excess supply out there that jerks like Paul Trent can stock up to the ceiling? Because perfectly good romantic leads like you and me continue to write ourselves out of the happy endings.
0: It's our bit. It's a
2: lousy bit.
0: Listen, Peaches, you just earned your keep by breaking a guy's ribs. And I took the only fella who put the moves on me today and put two slugs in his abdomen. In what way does this constitute perfectly good romantic leads?
2: I was grading on a curve.
0: That's tough but fair. Hey, will you look at that? What? Looks like the storm finally broke after all.
2: Yeah, well, it was bound to happen, I guess.
0: Most things are, eventually.
2: You really believe that?
0: No. Jack wasn't wrong But that would be twice in a single day So there's no way I would ever admit that To a living soul But these things don't distribute fairly Take Paul Trent He did get a little jail time Though not as much as he deserved Lost his job And as far as I know He never came within a hundred yards of Mary Lou Arden again But the unseen Mrs. Trent She stuck with him the whole way Waited for him when he was in lockup And as far as I know, they're together still. And if Paul Trent ever did a single thing to deserve that kind of love and loyalty, I can't imagine what it could have been. There had been a dearth of romantic endings in our little corner of the globe for a good long time now, and maybe we just got used to it. But a girl detective has to live in hope. After all, it's always calm before the storm.
1: Blackjack Justice, episode 32, Stormy Weather, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons with additional voices supplied by Peter Nickel and Clever dunetter This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective Black Jack Justice.
2: The name's Justice. Jack Justice. If there's one thing that I've learned in my years as a detective, and there are those who would tell you that there isn't, but who asked them? But assuming, for the sake of both argument and exposition, that there is, in fact, one thing that I have learned, it is that facts in evidence are not always facts indeed. Indeed. Or to put it another way, sometimes a bird in the hand turns out to actually be a stale Danish and a bus ticket to Topeka. Perhaps I should explain. Perhaps that would be best. Sometimes a detective's number one enemy in an investigation is the thing that everyone is so sure of that no one bothers to check. The fact in evidence that isn't. The aforementioned bird in the hand and so on. See, a private detective usually appears on the scene because someone, or a small series of someones, isn't having a lot of luck with the public detectives. After all, why shell out the princely sum of $35 a day plus expenses when your tax dollars are hard at work? And when the thing your tax dollars are hard at work doing is putting you or someone you love in an iron cage somewhere, the purse strings loosen up in a heck of a hurry. And as for the cops, well... God bless their little socks, I don't envy them their job. Trixie and I can turn down a case if it sounds fishy, or crooked, or creepy, or if it just plain gives us the screaming heebie jeebies. The cops here have to turn out for every crank that shows up at their door, and they're open for business 24 7. It's no wonder they like a nice straight line. They look for the obvious answer because they've got a hundred more questions piling up down at the precinct house. The bird in the hand is sometimes their only friend. But when your job is to see things differently, sometimes you have to wander pretty far out on a limb. And sometimes you have to do it in front of an audience that's more than a little unimpressed. I have lost count of the cops that crossed the street when they saw me coming. My dear old sainted mother used to say that even a clock that stopped is right twice a day. Of course, like any other plea for tolerance and acceptance, that's only half true. What Mod Justice failed to consider is that a clock that is two hours and 26 minutes slow is wrong all the damn time.
0: There you are.
2: Is that all you gotta say to me?
0: No. Your suit looks like you slept in it. Your hat looks like a raccoon slept in it. You emptied the office bottle after I left, again. And also, there you are.
2: Nice. Listen, I've been thinking. So
0: have I. I think we're gonna have to raise our rates. What? Thirty-five a day doesn't cut it anymore, and I'm running out of ways to pad expense reports to keep the wolf from the door.
2: This is what you're working on.
0: Yes, Jack. This is what I'm working on: the books, the ledger, the thing you refuse to look at that tells us exactly how up to our necks we are in any given moment. And the answer is very: forty dollars a day. Forty. Or thirty-nine ninety-five if you really think people are that stupid.
2: I really do. Yes. I've been thinking... Is this
0: a tacit approval for the new rates?
2: I don't care about the new rates. Listen...
0: Well, you better start caring, genius. There's no private detective's benevolent fund waiting for us. We've got to start playing smarter.
2: Maybe we'll get shot in the line of duty.
0: We don't have that kind of
2: luck. I could shoot you now. You
0: could try.
2: I've been thinking... Oh,
0: for the love of St. Augustine, what have you been thinking? What could you possibly have been thinking about this early in the day that merits this kind of attention?
2: I've been... What made you think of St. Augustine just there? What? Brewers... Printers? Sore eyes? Theologians?
0: Please tell me what you were thinking, Alterboy, Boy, because I'm just dying to know.
2: I was thinking about keeping Gabe Hill out of the gas chamber.
0: Why would we want to do that?
2: He's our client. He
0: lied to us.
2: This I grant you. And
0: he's a murderer.
2: Accused murderer, if you please.
0: Accused murderer, then. And most of all, I didn't notice him stopping by this morning with thirty-nine ninety-five plus expenses. Oh,
2: you're all heart, you are.
0: Sure. Just like you're all brains. "'The name's Dixon. Trixie Dixon, girl detective. "'I thought I'd got off a little too easy when Sabian slapped the cuffs on Gabriel Hill. "'Part of me had worried that old Square Jaw had washed his hands of the entire affair "'a little more quickly than was his usual want. "'But just when he'd lulled me into thinking that maybe, "'just maybe, I was wrong about his bull-headed stubbornness just this one time, "'he turned around and made it obvious that I was more right than usual, "'which was saying quite a bit.' Gabe Hill was one of those clients that made a girl detective wish she'd never got out of bed. He'd come to us with a sob story about being disinherited from his uncle Broderick's will. He claimed it was due to a smear campaign being run by his cousin Louisa, with whom Gabe was widely considered to have had an affair, which, since she was his cousin by marriage, was not technically biblical, but still made for awkward Thanksgiving dinners. Hill swore up and down that the affair was a fiction, a smear campaign of its own concocted by one or more scheming out-of-town cousins to turn the aforementioned Uncle Broderick against him. In the course of our investigation, it became clear Gabriel Hill had lied about the affair, which was real, the smear campaign, which was not, and the Hill will, which he had never actually been in, apparently because no one liked him any more than I did. Except possibly Louisa, and I assumed there was some dirty thrill there that I wanted nothing to do with. It had almost been a relief when Uncle Broderick had wound up in his study with a stylish new air vent in his skull, and Gabe Hill became John Q. Law's chief dance partner for a little tune called Murder on the First. But now a Snoop and Peep case that had paid had become a murder case that almost certainly didn't. Which meant one thing. Jack had finally got interested... We pulled up to the hill estate, still buzzing with a few blue-coated drones three days after the murder. Jack's brow furrowed as he scanned the doors, looking for a soft touch or an easy mark. We made our way down the drive to a small side door with steps leading down into the belly of the old house. Jack beamed with a genuine simulated warmth as he found what he was looking for.
2: Sergeant Nelson! Oh, no. Nelson, my old pal. Not you. My boon companion. My what?
0: Lay it on with a trowel, why don't you? Quiet,
2: you.
5: You're not supposed to be here.
2: Good
0: morning, Nelson.
5: You're not supposed to... Good morning, Miss Dixon. You're really not supposed to... You're
0: looking well.
2: Well, I... That is... Thank you. But you're really not... So let's get this over with. What do you say? Neither of you are... What's that? Let's get this over with already. Be nice if we could earn a dollar today instead of just running Sabian's errands. Running? But the lieutenant... Don't even get me started on the lieutenant, Nelson. I've had enough of his barking already today.
5: The... that is, you talked to Lieutenant
2: Sabian today? Of course. But I thought... What
5: do you think we're doing here? Well, I thought, that is, he he told me that... He did tell you to expect us, didn't he? No. Well, that is, he did, but he said... All right, then. Let's get cracking. You don't understand. The lieutenant told me that you and Miss Dixon would probably be coming around sooner or later. Sooner or later? Later. After the way he hollered? But that... you... um, you you couldn't come in. The crime scene. uh, He he actually told me that I
2: should shoot you, but I I don't think he meant that part. Not exactly. You mean he... do you believe this, Trix? Shocking. Sabian calls us up this morning, tears a strip off us. Tells us he'll have our licenses pulled if we don't get down to Broderick Hills to take a look at the crime scene. Then he calls Nelson and tells him not to let us in?
0: Cops. Who can figure him? Well, he didn't exactly... Well,
2: I'm not putting up with it, Sergeant. You're my witness. If he tries to burn us for not showing up at the prosecutor's office with our notes... Prosecutor's office?
0: Come on, Jack. Let's get out of here.
5: Well, the thing is...
2: Yes, Nelson?
5: The thing is... He... He didn't exactly mention you this morning. He didn't? Well, no.
0: It was more like
5: right after the murder.
0: But that was three days ago, Nelson.
5: Well, sure. When we were first locking down the scene, when he found out you'd been working for the killer.
0: We like to call him the alleged killer, just for fun.
5: Yeah, well, that's the kind of fun Lieutenant Sabian wanted to avoid. He was pretty particular about it. Isn't that
2: always the way, Trixie? Like I say, you're not supposed to be here. After all these years, you've been on the force, too. What's that? That's what really gets my goat, Nelson, is the lack of respect he shows to you. How do you mean? He changes his tune about something like this and doesn't even stop to give you a second thought. Doesn't even have the courtesy to let you know what's happening. Well... uh... I don't
0: think that... Never mind, Jack. It's Sabian's mess. Let him deal with it. I just don't think that I ought to... After all, it's not like he can blame Nelson for doing what he was told. Well, I really ought to... And when the DA and the mayor come down on him, he'll just have to admit that it was his mistake. Maybe I ought and to... And it's not like he's going to fly off the handle and come down on Nelson like a ton of bricks.
5: Now that I think of it, maybe... Maybe it's all right. I mean, the lieutenant says it's all right. Who, who am I to argue? boy. Come on, it's right
2: through here. Watch that step, it's a little loose. So it is.
0: A girl could break her neck on that.
2: Sensible shoes, partner. Sensible shoes.
0: These are plenty sensible. Will you look at this place?
2: The body was right through here. Close to
5: that side door. That's right. Nice when they're thoughtful like that. The ME's office didn't think it was so thoughtful. They didn't want to get their van stuck in all the mud by the side. They had to cart the body through the whole house to get to the main doors. Places like a rabbit's warren.
0: What was this room before the typhoon hit it? The study?
5: Something like that. Couldn't have been used all that much. Old Man Hill had an office near the front, just across from his room. Place sure got wrecked in the struggle, though. The servants hear anything? They had the night off. What, all of them? It's just three. A cook, a butler, and a male secretary.
0: And they were all off at the same time?
5: Every Tuesday night. He'll had dinner at his club like clockwork.
0: Convenient.
2: And then some. Nothing a fellow likes more than giving the staff the night off, having an early supper, then retiring to a disused sitting room in the back of the house to get his head caved in. By his nephew. You're sure about that part, are you?
5: Well, it seems pretty cut and dried, Mr. Justice. The killer had to know that the servants wouldn't be in, had to have a grudge with the deceased... Like being left out of the will, which he obviously knew since he hired you and Miss Dixon. And it had to be someone with no alibi for the time of the murder. Which was when? Look for yourself. That clock got broken in the struggle. Stopped at 9.55. It's
2: pretty dusty, Nelson. What makes you think it kept the right time? Because
5: Broderick Hill's watch broke in the struggle, too. 9.55 on the dot. Tidy.
0: It is, too. Where's the blood? Wasn't any. That seemed normal to you?
5: The M.E. says so. Hill had a serious head trauma and heart attack about the same time. He was disheveled, like he'd been in a fight. There were blunt force marks on the back of his head, and a poker is missing from the fireplace. Any prints? Lots of prints. Hill, staff, relatives, hangers-on. But only one set belonging to somebody that didn't have an alibi for 9.45 on Tuesday night. Gabriel Hill.
0: So, Gabe Hill comes over. He knows the staff has the night off. Maybe he expected to find his uncle, maybe he didn't.
5: Maybe he was looking for something. Like what? How should I know?
0: Uncle Broderick comes in, they argue... The
5: argument becomes a struggle. The old man's ticker starts to give out, and the nephew panics and makes sure of him with the poker. Well, that's how the lieutenant figures it.
0: Neat as a pin. Even if you don't dot all the T's and cross all the I's, Gabe Hill's gonna make a lousy witness in his own defense. He's a born liar.
5: He's changed his story twice already, and it's all admissible as evidence... I'm sorry, Miss Dixon. I know it isn't good for business to work for a killer. I don't
0: mind working for a killer, Peaches. It's working for a stupid killer that sticks in my craw. What do you think, Jack?
2: Look at this clock.
0: Jack, I don't care about the stupid clock.
2: Nice thick crystal. Didn't shatter when it was hit. But look at that impact hole. Something small and square did this. So what? Exactly. It could have been anything, Mr. Justice. No, it couldn't. It could have been something small, square, and hard that collided with the clock with a lot of force. So what was it? Does it matter? Only if your life depends on it.
5: What in the Sam Hill is going on here? Oh, hi, Lieutenant Sabian. Oh, hi, Lieutenant Nelson! What? What
1: did I say? What
5: was the one
1: very simple instruction to you? What did I specifically tell you not to do under any circumstances? But I thought... You thought what? 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 You just woke up this morning and said, What a beautiful day! I think I'll do everything in my power to get myself busted down to patrolmen! What in screaming blue banshees
5: are they doing here? Doing where? Doing where? Doing here! Where did they go? They left. What? Just now, when you were yelling at me, they slipped out.
1: Oh, no. Not again. Not today. But, Lieutenant... Justice! Dixon! Get back here now and I mean it! Justice! Justice!
0: We didn't exactly have a lot of time. Sabian would be furious, and if he held a pattern, he'd aim his rage in the general direction of Sergeant Nelson for a strictly limited time. Once he turned his focus where it really belonged, we wouldn't be getting a peep out of any of the supporting cast, and our lead player had already nearly talked his way into a conviction. A few more strikes against him, and his court-appointed mouthpiece would start trying to persuade him to sign a confession and take a plea. Which I wouldn't have a problem with in the slightest, except for one thing ten minutes at the crime scene had convinced me of one little thing. Whoever had killed Broderick Hill, it probably wasn't Nephew Gabe, however much I might have preferred it to be otherwise. Jack took the bad news that I was now on his side in stride, as he parked his heap across from a Trey La La private club downtown.
2: Did something in particular bring you around, or are you just playing the safe odds that I'm right yet again?
0: If I were playing the safe odds, I'd rat you out to Sabian. I'd just as soon not spend the night in the pokey. Miss Dixon has plans that do not involve cops, you, or a charge of interfering with a police investigation.
2: Thirty-five charges, no convictions. Think we got the record yet?
0: He's not trying to convict us, genius. It's how he keeps us out of his hair for a day or two. Ah! What is it? Ah! I, I domined my ankle tripping up those stairs. I warned
2: you about those shoes. Those
0: shoes are fine. The stairs are much less so. Can you walk? I can hobble in a manner most seductive. Will that do?
2: better. Just out of curiosity, what brought you around?
0: That room. It was a dump. Half deserted. I didn't get much of a look at the rest of the house, but I'd take odds that every other room in the place is nicer.
2: So why is the millionaire spending a quiet night in there?
0: Answer, he wasn't. That room had one thing going for it. Proximity to the side entrance.
2: First door on the left as you come in.
0: Or first door on the right if you're walking backwards.
2: Why would you be walking backwards?
0: Carrying a body?
2: Very nice. Clear, logical, and completely inadmissible.
0: You got anything else? The clock. The clock?
2: Old Man Hill's watch broke in the struggle. Swell, wouldn't be the first time.
0: But the watch and the clock breaking at the same time? Thin, ain't it? It really is. If someone's trying that hard to establish the time of death, maybe that lets Gabe Hill out right there. Or
2: not. Or not. If Uncle Broderick's watch broke at 9.55, odds are good that's when he got his all right. But if someone wanted to make sure that John Law thought the back study was the real crime scene...
0: They could reset the mantle clock to match the watch and smash it, too.
2: One of those things that probably looks real good if you're a panicky idiot who just carried a body backwards down a rickety set of stairs.
0: Or a pack of thick-necked bulls looking to move on to the next case.
2: There is that. That clock probably hadn't even been wound in a year. It might still work, or it might not... In either case, proves not much of anything. And Gabe Hill needs a little more help than that.
0: So we find who moved the body, and we'll find who did the deed.
2: And to do that, we need to find where the body was moved from. And to do that, we need to know where the body was before it was a body.
0: So we try the private club?
2: Yeah. They're not going to tell us anything.
0: Then what are we doing here?
2: I'm going to ask the private club. I'll ask, beg, threaten, and cajole. If they throw me out in five minutes, it's par for the course if they let it go ten, Sabian's called ahead and they're stalling till he gets here with a shiny new pair of bracelets for me.
0: Where am I during this one-act farce?
2: You're hobbling over to that seventeen-year-old kid they've got on the door, hobbling just as seductively as you can manage. Get the picture?
0: Gee, you paint it so subtly. How can I cut through the clever subtext?
2: Nice. Try not to traumatize him for life.
0: No promises. Go. Go. Jack shot me something neatly between a grin and a leer over his shoulder as he crossed the street ahead of me and pushed his way in the main door, much to the dismay of the kid at the door. I could see the kid peering in to where old square jaw was leaning against the main desk, making his inquiries. After a moment or two, he seemed sure enough that he wasn't expected to enter the club and bodily remove the shabbily dressed interloper, and he turned just in time to catch yours truly limping towards him. I locked eyes with him and smiled. He swallowed hard and turned a charming shade of crimson. He didn't seem to be that put off by the limp. Well, hello. Uh,
6: Hello. I mean, uh, good afternoon, miss.
0: Oh, don't worry about the formality, sweetheart. I'm no society doll. I just thought I'd come over and say hello. You did? You're a little young to be working a job like this, aren't you?
6: I don't know... I guess so.
0: Put in a lot of hours, do you?
6: Well, sure.
0: Like last Tuesday night, for example?
6: Tuesday night?
0: Terrible echo out here, ain't it?
6: What's this about?
0: Who says it has to be about anything?
6: Well, nobody, I guess.
0: So were you here on Tuesday?
6: Sure, I was here. Is this about Mr. Hill?
0: You say that like a little murder and mayhem isn't the most exciting part of your week.
6: I just opened the door.
0: And flag down cabs?
6: And flag down cabs, sure.
0: And just maybe you hear where that cab is headed?
6: It's all right. Somebody's already been around.
0: Somebody has, have they?
6: Sure. It's okay.
0: It is, is it?
6: Sure. I already promised the other one.
0: Other one what?
6: Well, I mean, you don't look like a cop.
0: Gee, thanks. You really know how to butter up a girl, don't you? I guess. You guess. So, the other one. Got you to keep the address to yourself, yes?
6: That's right. You don't have to worry about me. My lips are sealed.
0: Your lips, yes. But what about the cabbie? The what? Did you know the cab driver?
6: No. I never saw him. Gee, I never thought about that. But it was a blue line taxi. I I remember that. Thanks, kid. Say, what'd you do to your leg?
0: Can you use your imagination? Sure. Well, cut it out. It's bad for your nerves.
2: Two minutes and fifty-five seconds later, I made it back to the car, having been thoroughly stymied in my inquiries by the staff at the Club Tres Not for nothing, but God forbid if I ever happened to be murdered or meet with similar untimely demise, I would want the employees of my gentleman's club to share with any and all any sort of information that might help solve the case. But apparently, those that frequent such establishments feel otherwise, to judge by the frosty reception I got. The red-faced fellow at the desk gave me the runaround as best he could, but the icy fingers up and down my spine told me that his manager was phoning Sabian, and I beat a suitably hasty retreat. Her ladyship was already back in the car, and lucky for Gabe Hill, she had some good news. We'd caught a break. Sam Waters was still the dispatcher down at the Blue Line Cab Company, and his drivers thought the world of the old guy. Trixie and I had done a good turn for Sam three or four years ago, and he was the kind of guy who never forgot a favor.
0: It's not that taxi drivers were big on confidentiality. They weren't. But they were big on getting paid. Once you'd found your driver, you could almost always get the skinny, if there was any to be got. But you'd have to grease a few palms to find him. And you'd have to grease the driver plenty to get him to squawk. And frankly, with our client in the pokey, there was no one around to foot the bill for the application of said grease. But Sam Waters found us our man and told him to cooperate in a voice that said he wasn't kidding around. Ten minutes later, we had what we needed, and there was nothing to do but sit by the coffee maker in the Blue Line garage and wait for Sabian to catch up with us.
2: This coffee is disappointing.
0: Sam will be crushed.
2: These guys drive all night. You'd think they'd have better fuel for the job. Well, well, well. Lord and Lady Gumshoe. Just a second, Sabian. You know what to cut through some of this bitterness? What's that? A little vanilla in the pot.
0: Really? Just a
2: touch. Are we done with hints from the happy homemaker? I'm done if you're done.
0: I wasn't even really listening.
1: So I caught up with you two at last.
0: Truly, it's been a merry chase.
2: Indeed. Can I offer you some lousy coffee, Sabian? The hard sale, no less. Don't you two geniuses want to know where you fouled up? Let's see. You phoned ahead to the club, they called you when I arrived, and then you strong-armed the kid at the door into coughing up what he told Trixie, and you followed the trail of breadcrumbs.
0: But he probably didn't spill everything. I hope you scared him good, Sabian, because somebody's already paid him off to keep quiet. Who? Search me. He called them the other one. Whatever that means, he's been keeping mum about Broadrick Hill's real destination the night he died.
2: But we've got the hack that made the actual delivery. You two think
1: you're so cute. The kid says Dixon's picked up a limp. I'm not surprised. Here, catch. What's this? The heel off your shoe. You lost it when you tripped up those stairs. I spotted it in the mud by some bushes.
0: Okay. First of all, my shoes are fine. Secondly, my shoes are black, not red. Thirdly, when have you ever seen me wear a four-inch heel in the middle of the day?
2: And fourthly, Sabian, you just solved the case and locked up a conviction. He has? I have. Uh, that is...
1: Well, all right, wise guy, tell me
2: how. Here's the address the cabbie gave us. You know it? Mm. Sure I know it. It's a cat house. It is, isn't it?
0: So Broderick Hill gives the staff every Tuesday night off so he can visit a house of ill repute, nice and regular. But this week, his ticker gets the better of him. He falls.
2: He hits his head. He
0: breaks his watch.
2: It's 9.55.
0: The girls don't call an ambulance because that'd mean cops. They dress him as best they can.
2: Leaving him a little disheveled. They drive him home. Instead of to the hospital. So
0: maybe he's already dead.
2: And maybe that's the sort of call a doctor should probably make.
0: Fair point. They park by the side door so as not to be seen from the street. They have a little trouble on the stairs, either on the way in or out. I say out. Why out?
2: Because the heel
1: was in the mud a few yards further on. That's another good reason. I'll come back to mine. I hate you.
0: Seconded. They bring the body into the first room they find and drop him there. They get the bright idea to make it look like there had been a struggle so no one would wonder if the body was in the right place. They hit upon the happy notion of matching the broken watch with the broken clock. So they reset the clock smash the glass
2: with the heel of a shoe very much like that one sabian i think you'll find that the bottom of that heel matches the small square hole in the glass very nicely suggesting the shoe was in one piece when they left if you're very lucky lieutenant you might just find the shoes that go with that heel still in the possession of one of the girls in that house hardly premeditated murder but i'm sure you'll agree some laws were broken
0: and proving in any case that gabe hill didn't do it and that you should probably open his cage so I can present a bill for thirty nine ninety nine.
2: Plus expenses. So I
1: suppose one of the girls paid off the kid on the door to keep quiet. I guess. So I guess we know what he meant when he told you the other one took care of it.
0: The other one what? Oh.
1: <laughs> nice. <laughs> Don't look so sore, Dixon. The kid probably meant it as a compliment. Besides, I've got to get the last laugh once in a blue moon, don't I?
2: And that's how it went. Ma Justice would probably have seen it as grist for the mill of her old adage. Maybe it was. Because for Gabe Hill, it was the clock that had stopped that was right all along.
1: Blackjack Justice, episode 33, The Stopped Clock, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons, with additional voices supplied by Kevin Robinson, Hans Messerschmidt, and Greg Taylor.